welcome everybody. It's great to see you and everybody online and at Montrose. Great to see you guys as well. Uh, we've been in a series here uh, for the a chunk of the summer where we've just been kind of hanging out in the book of Romans and we've been talking about this idea of superficial and what it, what it means to like really love each other. And what does Jesus mean when he says you should love each other just as I have loved you? And what's he mean when, when he says this is the things that are to mark us and define us as his followers? The, the thing that should define you as a Christ follower and then we as the church of Jesus Christ is not our politics. It's really not even the nuances of theology, it's not a subculture, it's our love for one another, our love for our neighbor, and then our love for even our enemy. And our willingness and our ability and our desire to do that is really what is to, to set us apart from, from uh, kind of our old life into our new life. And so this is what the Apostle Paul has been like digging at and talking about here in the book of Romans where we've been kind of hanging out here in chapter 12 when he says, don't just pretend to love others, but really love them. And so we're kind of wrestling, like, what does it mean to really love them? Well, Jesus is the, the, the example. In fact, that's the reason that the Apostle Paul said this, is because he's teaching us and, like, encouraging us to act on the directive that Jesus gave us. So when Jesus says here in John 13, he says, I'm giving you a new commandment. This is for his followers, Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. And that is the directive and the driving thing and the defining feature of what it means to be a Christ follower. Now, what I want to talk to you about this week, and we're going to talk on down in Romans in chapter 13, but before we get to that, I want to make sure that we actually take some time and talk about loving each other just as Christ has loved us. So, the issue that we would struggle with like in our, our everyday life is what does it mean to love? So that word's a loaded word, right? So that's everything from like a romantic love to like, you know, I love Rockneys kind of a thing. And so it's, it's everything in between. So when Jesus gives us a command and he says, love each other just as I have loved you, he's saying something specific. He's saying something specific. He's not just kind of throwing an idea out there that is somehow tied to being nice to people all the way to like laying down your life for somebody. He's thinking about something more dialed into that and he's thinking about it in terms of just as I have loved you. So I have set this example for you, my life, my interaction, the, the teaching that I laid down, that's the box, it's the paradigm, it's the parameters of what it means to actually love each other. So understanding that is really, really important, and it's really important before we go on to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 13, because what he's gonna say, we'll, we'll see here in a minute, is that loving each other actually fulfills the law of Christ, or it, 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 if you wanted to know what does Jesus want you to do to make him happy, it's to love each other. So it's this core thing that's like at, at the center of all of it, but us having a clear definition of it and a clear understanding of it is like a really, really big deal. So I wrote down in, in my notes, it's in the app if you wanna use that, a definition of love. So love each other 
just as I have loved you, what does this type of love mean? It's not that like saying love your I love my cat, it, that might be wrong, but if I said I love my dog or I love pizza, it's not, it's not like we're sinning, it just means something different. So what does this love? So this is love each other just as I have loved you or love each other like Christ loves us. So sometimes we'll say this, we're to love each other with a Christ-like love. We love just as Jesus loved us. So a Jesus-like, a Christ-like love. What is a Christ-like love? Well, here's a definition for you. Christ-like love is desiring what is the ultimate best for someone, regardless of the cost to yourself. Christ-like love is desiring the ultimate best for someone, regardless of the cost to yourself, right? Now, when I wrote down this definition, I, I think it's a great definition, but this was my fear. My fear was that we would hear that through kind of our, our cultural lenses. Because right now, what we would say is this, your ultimate best is whatever you wanna be. So we would read this through like the lens of a prosperity gospel, or the lens of a self-help, or the lens through an enablement. And we're gonna talk about this here in a minute. So when I say that Christ-like love is desiring what the ultimate best is for someone, what I'm saying is the ultimate best in Christ. So the ultimate best for every person is to know and love and be defined and directed by Jesus Christ. And to understand Jesus' will and desire for our life. That is, for every human being, that is the ultimate best. That you would know Jesus, that you would love Jesus, that you would follow Jesus and you would be defined and directed by Jesus. The ultimate best for me is actually not usually what Jeff wants. That what Jeff usually wants is centered around Jeff and Jeff wanting to be the center of the world. Uh, the ultimate best is not me defining and directing my own truth. We'll see here in a minute that I actually can't do that because of the condition of my heart. The ultimate best for me and for you is to know and love and follow Jesus and be defined and directed or to build your life off of the truth of which he brings to be. So when Jesus says, love each other just as I have loved you, what he's saying is, look at how I loved you. Look at what I brought into the world, what I brought into your life. I wanted the ultimate best for you and the ultimate best for you was for you to know that you needed and have a savior if you want one. The ultimate best for you is the truth and the direction and the kind of the input, so to say, of Jesus' truth that causes me to die to myself and live for Christ. The ultimate best for me is to have my life placed under the definition and the direction of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus says, love each other as I loved you, it's, see, it's a, it's a paradigm that he's talking about. It's a box, it's a parameter that he's talking about. And so for me to love you the way that Christ loved me is for me to want that ultimate best in your life as well. So what does it mean to love in a Christ-like way? Christ-like love is, is me desiring the ultimate best for someone regardless of the cost to me. The cost to Jesus was the cross, was his life, was his sacrifice. So when I love you the way that Jesus loved me, I'm bringing to you the truth, the relationship, the insight that Jesus brought to me, so to say, 
and then I'm willing to give that to you, whatever allows that to be accomplished in your life, I will try to give that to you, I will desire that, regardless of cost to me, okay? So love each other as just as Jesus loved you, right? Now, based off of that paradigm then, you would start to look at Romans chapter 13. In Romans chapter 13, the Apostle Paul goes on and he says this, he's explaining all this, he says this, owe nothing to anyone except the obligation to love one another. That love is that paradigm, the desire that I want the ultimate best for you regardless of its cost to me. So don't owe anybody, anything to anybody except the obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor in a Christ-like way, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and, other, and such other commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. So what the Apostle Paul is saying is this. If you're trying to figure out how to follow Jesus, and you're trying to figure out like what God wants for you, and you're trying to figure out what God's will for your life is, he, what he's saying is, get above all of the singular issues. Well, I love, if I'm gonna love Jesus, I gotta not commit adultery. He's like, okay. If I love Jesus, I gotta not steal from people. All right. If I love Jesus, I gotta clean up my life, right? Don't smoke, drink, chew, day girls who do, cheer for Michigan. Like, like, if I love Jesus, I gotta get all that stuff in place. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is this. Actually, if you love your neighbor as yourself, what kind of love? A Christ-like love. If you desire the ultimate best for them in Christ, regardless of the cost of you, that will cover all of that. Why don't I commit adultery? Because that other man that I wanna be unfaithful with is somebody that I'm supposed to love and it's unloving for me to take him into sin or take her into sin. Why don't I steal? Because the person that I'm stealing from, I'm taking their possession, it's unloving for me to take from them what is not mine. Uh, why don't I, you know, uh, smoke, drink, chew, dig girls to do? Because I could be a stumbling block. I could be all these different things. And the Apostle Paul is saying, all these commandments are summed up in one. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? It means in a Christ-like way. This is the new commandment. Love each other just as Christ has loved you. Because that love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements. That's what God wants. Love fulfills the requirements of God's law. Okay, now, this is where this definition winds up being super important. And this is what I think we need to talk about here for a, a few minutes. Because that definition of love in our thinking is often different than Christ-like love. When we say love somebody, when like our culture says love somebody, we often mean something different than desiring their ultimate best in Christ regardless of cost to myself, okay? So this definition becomes wildly important because if I said, I'm in on this, I wanna love my neighbor, you might look and say, well what do you mean by that? When you read this last sentence, love your neighbor as yourself, Love does no wrong. Well, what do you mean by love? 
And what do you mean by love your neighbor? And love fulfills the law. Well, how do you, how, depending on how you define love depends on if you're actually fulfilling the law or not. So what does it actually mean to love? And how does that kind of play out in our culture today? And then how would Jesus want that to play out in our life in, in real time? Okay, so let's talk about those two things here, here for a minute. When we think about love and the way that that word is used and the way that we would think about interacting with each other kind of today, right? This is what I think we'll find. When you think about, I call it the cultural definition of love. When you think about love and the way that that word tends to be used in our culture, that word is not necessarily used in a wrong way. I'm not gonna say that it's wrong. What I'm gonna say is that word is often used or that thought is used in an incomplete way. And the complete part is the difference between us feeling good, kind of interacting with each other one way and us loving each other in a Christ-like way, okay? So generally, when we say we love people or when we're told we should be loving, or we should love somebody, generally what's meant by that today is this. Generally it's rooted in this idea of giving full approval and acceptance uh, to their beliefs. If I love you, generally generally what that means is that I give full approval and acceptance to whatever your beliefs are. And if I don't, have that definition of love, generally, I am told that I am wrong and I am told that I am unloving toward my neighbor. So if I don't give full approval and give full acceptance, I'm hateful and some would even say you're not being Christ-like because Jesus is loving, which means he loves me and what I mean by that is that he gives full approval in full acceptance to whatever my beliefs or my behaviors are, right? Now, let me, let me say this. I don't think that that's totally wrong. I think it's incomplete. I think something that our world does today that's, that we are better at than we used to be is acceptance. And I think we're way better at that than we used to be, and I actually think that that's a really good thing. I think we're way better at accepting cultural differences than we used to be. That it's, it's kind of okay that you have these cultural roots and I have these cultural roots and maybe we should explore those or, or blend those or even celebrate those. I think that's a good thing. And I think that's actually something that Jesus would approve of because he created all cultures and created all people. I think we're way better at accepting like racial differences than we used to be. And say we're perfect, I just think we're way better than we used to be. Where we would look and say, like it's wrong, it's wrong to be bigoted, it's wrong to be prejudiced. And I would look and say, I think Jesus agrees with that. Like that is wrong. I, I think we're way better at, at um, things like equality. I think we're way better at not looking down on women not looking down on minority. Like, we're way better at that than we used to be. Because I think Jesus will look and say, that's disrespectful, it's unjust, that's wrong. So when we say, I'm gonna love you by not doing those things, I'm like, right. 
right. Like that's, a, that's a very good thing. It's a healthy thing. I even think at times, depending on how you're talking about it, it's a, it's a Christ-like thing. I think we're way better at accepting people who struggle with disabilities, struggle with mental illness, uh, way better at making sure that people's needs are met than we used to be. Didn't say we were perfect. I just think we're way better than we used to be. So it's not that that definition is totally wrong. What I would say about this definition when it comes to defining love this way is that it's incomplete. And if we look at those passages in Romans and say that love does no wrong, but we give an incomplete definition to what that love is, we're gonna miss the heart of God. Love your neighbor. If I give an incomplete definition to what it means to love your neighbor, I'm gonna miss the heart of God. See how that works? So it's not like it's totally out of, out of the blue. There's parts of it that are very, very healthy, and there are parts of it that have caused, like call it cultural change, and I'm like, it's good. It's stuff we're better at and stuff we should keep getting better at. But it's different than Jesus saying, love each other just as I have loved you. It's different than what Jesus did because it's incomplete. When you look at Christ-like love, so our general definition of our culture, giving full approval and acceptance of, of someone's behavior, when you look at Christ-like love, it's rooted in something different. So Christ-like love, love each other just as I have loved you. Christ-like love is rooted in this. It's rooted in living out grace and truth relationally. It's rooted in living out grace and truth relationally. The Bible says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. He, he is equal in both things. He's full of truth and he's full of grace and that is who Christ is. When you think about grace, grace means God's unmerited favor. So grace is God accepting me when I don't deserve to be accepted. And that's where sometimes accepting people in the other definition mimics the heart of God. It, there's good in it. God would look at you and say, I accept you even if you're broken. I, I, I don't care what culture you are, or race you are. I created all that. I think it's all beautiful. I accept you. I don't care if you're male. I don't care if you're female. I accept you. I accept you in your sin. I accept you in your effort to follow me. I accept you because I've chosen to accept you. That's grace. And the Bible says that God is full of that grace. It's, 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 a, it's not a part of who he is. It is who he is. He's full of grace. But the Bible goes on and says he's full of grace and truth. He's full of grace and truth. And truth means that God is the ultimate definer of all things. So God is the ultimate definer of truth. He's the ultimate definer then of what love is, what grace is, what is right, what is wrong, what is natural, what is unnatural. He's the definer of all things. He's full of acceptance and grace, mercy, compassion, 
and he's full of truth because he's God. So who, what he says is what is real. What he says is what is right. What he says is what is just. So he's full of grace and he is full of truth. And the way that Jesus loves me is he brings grace and truth to me relationally. He doesn't just speak it from on high. He showed up on the planet. We watched Jesus live out grace and truth. We watched him heal people. We watched him feed people. We watched him accept people. He, he would sit down with, with uh, nefarious sinners is one of my favorite words in the whole Bible. He would sit down like with the worst of us. We also watched him define things. I am the son of God. I am the way, the truth, and life. We watched him define things. We watched him rebuke things. You've read the scripture, but you're not interpreting it correctly, he said to the Pharisees. He would look at people and he'd say, I love you, now go and sin no more. So we saw him live out grace, we saw him live out truth, and we saw all of that happen as he interacted as he lived life and as he loved the people around him. And we would then look and say, that's how Jesus loves me. Jesus is willing to accept me, forgive me, have compassion upon me, but he also, he also tells me that like I'm a sinner. He also tells me that there are beliefs I have and motives that I have and truth that I've made up for myself that is not true that I'm lying to myself. Part of the Bible says this, it's fascinating. Bible says the human heart is so deceitful and wicked that human beings cannot understand it. And that's true of me. Now we'll argue that sometimes, say, well, that's not true of me. Sure it is. All you have to do is, is think about why you do acts of service. Do you serve your spouse because you love your spouse or because it makes your spouse behave a certain way? Do you serve the poor because you love the poor or because you feel good for serving the poor? I don't know either. See? Why? Because my heart, my heart is like that. So I have, I have to find a truth outside of myself. And Jesus says, that's me. And I love you with grace and I love you with truth. And that's what Christ-like love is, and it's how I want you to love each other. It's not that sometimes Jesus loves us with grace, and other times he loves us with truth. It's that he loves us by living out grace and truth in our lives all the time. And it is the essence or the foundation of our relationship with him. So this is where this definition matters. And it matters a ton. Because if I'm gonna love you just like Christ loved me, and that's gonna be how I fulfill the law or please God, I have to know that my love is a Christ-like love, not just the approval and the acceptance of whatever you believe or whatever you want. If in the name of love, I give full approval and acceptance, but I withhold truth, then I'm not loving you. I'm not loving you. If I look at a friend who's struggling with alcohol to the point of addiction 
and I give full acceptance and approval to what they're doing and never tell them the truth, I'm not loving them. If I have a friend who's diabetic and I sit and watch him have three beers and a two liter of Coke and I never say anything about that, I just give full acceptance and approval to their beliefs or their behaviors, I'm not loving them. When I, withhold, when I give grace, but I withhold truth, I'm not loving as I have been loved. If in the name of love I give truth, but I withhold grace, it's not loving. And by the way, I love you. This is what the church is guilty of many times. You know what's wrong with you. What you're doing is horrible, it's wicked, it's sinful, it's against the heart of God. You're wretched, you're vile, you're going to hell. Every one of those things is true of every human being. But when I give truth and I withhold grace, I can tell you the truth, I can tell it to you in a vengeful way, I can tell it to you in a manipulative way, I can tell you truth in a controlling way. It does not mean that I love you. When I withhold grace, I'm not loving you. When I withhold truth, I'm not loving you. Because a Christ-like love is always going to bring truth and grace to the forefront because that's the way that Christ brought it to us. Grace absent truth is not love. Truth absent grace is not love. And Jesus says, I want you to love each other just as I loved you. And Paul says that Christ-like love does no wrong. That Christ-like loving your neighbor as yourself. That Christ-like love fulfills the law. That's what I want you to do with each other. I want you to love each other the way that I have loved you, right? Now, where this tends to show up is interesting. What happens is this. Real love tends to show up in our relationships when grace and truth are needed but unwanted. It tends to show up in our relationships when grace and truth are needed but unwanted. So who are your real friends? Who are your real friends? When are your parents really on point? When are your kids on point? See? Grace and truth, real love, tends to show up when it's needed, but it's not welcomed or it's not wanted. Your real friend is the one who will look at you and say, I love you, I'm with you, I'm not going anywhere but you are out of step with the heart and the mind of Jesus Christ. And it's destroying your relationship with him. It's destroying your relationship with people. And I love you enough to tell you that truth. Your real friend, your real friend is the one that after truth is caught up with you because truth always catches up with you. And your sin's been exposed and your grossness has been exposed and you're embarrassed now. Your real friend is the one who comes in and says, okay, that's the facts. It's not her fault, it's your fault. I'm with you. What do we need to do? 
What do we need to do? I'll, I'll be your sponsor. I'll stay with you. It, when you, as you journey back to rebuilding your life, as you go through this pain, I'm in. I'll do it with you. Your real friend, your real loving person in your life is the one who will speak truth and who will live in grace with you and those things are usually combined. And oftentimes, the person in need of truth or the person in need of grace doesn't want that at first. And the person who actually loves you is the one who says, I know you're going like this, but I'm not going away. Because nobody's telling you. Nobody's, te- nobody's saying this out loud, right? And this is everything from defensive little things that we get in life. Heidi, sometimes my wife will, will uh, talk to me because I'll pick up ticks from like as a as like a person who talks in public a lot. I'll pick up ticks, and so sometimes I, I picked up a tick once of rubbing my nose all the time, and then one time I picked up this tick of rubbing my belly. I don't know why. I was just like, look at this, <laughs> you know, like like I, just, I pick up these ticks, and so Heidi. She, she, she has to sit down with me and she says, do you know that you're, you're rubbing your nose, that you're rubbing your belly, right? I don't like it. Because I'm like, why didn't you tell me the 99.9% of the things I did that were awesome? And she's like, because nobody will tell you this, right? Who loves you? It's dumb little things like this to look at and saying, you know what? Actually, you have a lot of pride in your relationship with your spouse. That's why your relationship's breaking down. Actually, you're stubborn about scripture in your life. The Bible says this. Actually, what you believe about yourself is irrelevant. It's who God says you are and what God says you are. That's your real friend. That's the person who actually loves you. It's not all your friends who go away when you get canceled because you said something stupid on Instagram or X. It's the friends that know that you said something stupid that are still by your side. They may say, okay, stupid, come here, you know. It's your friends that stay with you. It's not, it's not, your, it's not everybody at work who thinks you're the greatest because you're helping them get ahead. It's everybody at work that stays faithful to you when you're the one that got downsized. It's the person who will speak truth and who will live in grace. And the person, if you want to know who really loves you, it's who really loves you are the people who show up and they do this when you don't want to hear it, when I don't want to hear it. And when we do this, when we do grace and truth, and let that be God's definition of love, that can be one of the most life-changing things that will ha- ever happen in your life. I had a friend, I actually was roommates with his son in college, his name was Roger Pugh, and his son Phil and I were roommates, and I didn't come to know Jesus until I was a junior in college, and I, was, I used to be a lot of fun, then the kids and the church happened and it's all gone, but I, I used to be like a wild man. As a life of every party, I was, I was a blast. I have stories, but... My friend, Roger, sat down with me one day, guys probably at least twice as old, or he would have been like a, an adult. He's my, my roommate's father. And he sat down with me, and I had accepted Christ, but I really hadn't changed the way that I was living necessarily. I kind of 
cleaned out the blatant sin, but still was a goofball all the time, every time. And uh, his, Roger was a guy whose approval that I wanted. It was important to me that he approve of me. So he asked me one day, he goes, can I sit down with you? I want to talk to you about something. And I was all amped up about this. I'm like, what's he going to say? Like, he's going to tell me I'm awesome. He's going to tell me I'm talented. You know, he's going to tell me I have a bright future. And so he sat down with me. He goes, hey, I've been meaning to talk with you about something. I said, yeah, what is it? I was all, I was all excited about this. He said, he goes, uh, I need to confront you. And just like, pop the balloon. I'm like, oh, come on, man. Like, confront me. He's like, yeah, I need to confront you. He, I'm like, okay, what do you need to confront me about? And he said, uh, he said, Jeff, he said, you have all the potential of the world, but you're not serious or sober about life in any way. And if you don't become serious and sober about life, you're going to be a guy who squanders everything God has ever given you. I did not want to hear that. I did not want to hear that. And I didn't want to hear it from him. And I don't, I don't like being told those things. Right? But it was life-changing. Roger went on to say, if you want me to disciple you, I'm willing to do that, but you have to let me tell you the truth. And if I look back on my life, outside of my dad and Pastor Bob, probably the man that had the biggest impact on my life was Roger Pugh. In fact, when we were trying to decide whether to start this church or not, it was Roger Pugh that God used to help us make the decision to say yes, or we wouldn't even be sitting here tonight. I didn't want it. I wasn't looking for it. He just loved me enough. You tracking me? He just loved me enough. And that love, that love did no wrong. He wasn't wronging me. He wasn't telling me off. He wasn't being critical of me. That love did no wrong. That love was a love of a neighbor. Roger was loving me the way that somebody had loved him. He would look and say, if I had this big blind spot, I would hope you would tell me about it. And that love fulfilled the law. That was Roger loving me the way that Jesus loved Roger because somewhere along the line, Jesus, so to say, sat down with Roger and said, hey, bud, you need to know you're a sinner. And you don't think that you're a sinner. In fact, you can't even really figure that out in your own heart. You don't believe that. And you, you actually don't want to hear it. But you are. And if you want to turn from that sin, repent from that sin, I'll walk with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm, in, I'm 100% in. And for everybody who's a Christ follower, Jesus has had that conversation with us. That is the conversation. That's the point. And many of us don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. But Jesus loved us enough that while we were still sinning, he came to us. He sought us out. He told us a truth but he did it in a relationship that is just abundant in grace.
I wanna just give you three things real quick that will help you, because some of you, this is what, I, 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 want you to, I want you to just kind of take a breath. I want you to think about, there's somebody I need to really love. There's somebody I really need to love. But as Christ loved me, not just accept whatever, because that's enabling is what that is. That's not love. But there's people in my life, I need to really, I need to, I need to say out loud grace. I need to say out loud truth. I need to, so how do you do that when you do that? Okay, so here's some, I just want to give you some handles for this. When you're thinking about expressing grace and truth and loving someone that way, think about the timing. Think about the timing. This is what happens. A lot of times, truth is spoken because somebody has gotten on your nerves. Parents were, the, were guilty. You're being a brat. You're not saying that in love. It's truthful. Like, I know you're a kid. It's truthful, right? Stop it. You know what your problem is? We'll do that in marriage. We'll do that in friendship. You leave the apartment a mess. A lot of times, truth is spoken because somebody's getting on your nerves. That's not love. So timing, and one of the things, I'm a, I'm a type of a person that can say what he thinks whenever he thinks it. If that's you, then what you gotta be praying about this. I have to pray, God help me to shut my mouth and wait for you to create a moment. Some of you have friends and you have people that you love and they're, they're living a lifestyle that is sinful and far from God. And, and it's not just being nice to them. Truth has to be spoken, but the Holy Spirit needs to create that window. Some of you have those same people that love, and you've said that truth, but you've never, you like cut them out of your life. What in the world? Cut them out of your life. And they're hurting, and they need help, and they're alone, right? And so they need great, so timing. God, create the time, make the conversation. It's a big deal. It's not just when you're fed up. Timing. Here's the second thing. Temperament. Temperament. This is a big one. Some of us are bold. I'm like that. I'm just like, you want to know what I think? I will let you know. And oh, I feel good. Now that I did. Some of us are bold. Those of us who are bold in our temperament need to pray for patience. And we need to let God work in people's heart. And we need to be responsive to what the Holy Spirit is doing. And then be in that moment, not in a moment where we just created. Those of us who are bold need to be patient. Those of us who are timid need to be bold. So some of you are like, I don't know, I'm a nine, I'm just a peacemaker. Like, like, you know, and you just hate it. You like hate everything about it. You're like, I'm all in on grace, but the truth thing. Like, you need to, you need to be bold. So you need to pray for God's timing, and then you, both of you are gonna have to like work against your instincts. And if you're, if you're a peacemaking personality, you pray that God will give you boldness and clarity in a moment. If you're a mouthy guy like I am, you pray that God will help you to shut up and to say few words, but the right ones, right? So timing, temperament, and the last one is tone. This is a big one, especially today. 
The Bible says, Peter says this, that when we confront something, when we, when we interact with each other in grace and truth, it is to be done with gentleness and respect. It's big words, you should get tattoos. Gentleness, respect. And tone is a big thing. We need to move proclamations into conversations. You know what's wrong with you. You need to move that proclamation into a conversation. You need to move an accusation into a conversation. Because that person who is living in sin against the will of God, I guarantee you 100% has enormous pain in their life. They didn't just wake up one day and say, I, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna be an alcoholic. I'm going for it. It's not what happened. I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow relationships up. That's me, woohoo, I'm a relational ninja. That's, that's not what happened. They have enormous pain in their life. And when we look and make a proclamation, you are the worst thing that, you know what your problem is, and we make an accusation, you're the one who ruins everything, when we make an accusation and a proclamation instead of having a conversation. A conversation takes gentleness, it takes respect. Tell me about your life. Tell me about your pain. Tell me why you think the way that you think. Tell me why you believe what you believe. Tell me, tell me why you don't believe what I, do, what I believe. It's a conversation. And it's absolutely, you'll see Jesus do this all the time. Well, you flipped over tables. Yeah, you're taking that all out of context a little bit. He had boldness. Jesus didn't lack a spine. But he didn't lack patience and respect. And what he would say a lot is he would say, here's what I have to say. I, I know how many husbands you have, lady at the well. I, 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 I know... I know what, she was caught in adultery. If, you, if you've never committed adultery in your mind, you throw the first stone. Okay. And so these little things, if you can bring these little things into this conversation, I know it's a little corny, but you'll remember it. Just time, temperament, and tone. It, it, they be, it's like little platforms, so to say, that you can bring grace and truth and you want to bring that into your relationship. Grace and truth isn't something that you do. It's someone that you become. We're not following the behaviors and the patterns of the world. This is the top of Romans chapter 12. But we're, we're having our minds renewed by changing the, th the way that we think. That's what Paul says. And so I'm allowing myself to become grace and truth because Christ is grace and truth and Christ is at work within me. And then I'm gonna, here's the new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. How? Grace and truth, right? And the apostle Paul says that's the gig. You love with grace and truth, it will not wrong. You love your neighbor as yourself, you will fulfill the law. You are doing what Jesus is asking you to do, okay? All right. Band's gonna come out and maybe as they settle in, they'll flip the stage here a little bit. Could you just bow your heads with me? And So Jesus, would you just give us a moment, give us a breather before we grab the kids and before we go on?
Would you just give us a peace and a quiet and a stillness here? And would you interact with our hearts? So as you ask the Lord to interact with you, and you ask his Holy Spirit to work in your hearts, maybe start to ask the Lord, Lord, is there a relationship that's broken? A place that I am not fulfilling the law of love. And God, there's a relationship that I have that's not marked by grace, it's not marked by truth. And maybe something needs to be said. Maybe an invitation needs to be made. You know that, I don't know that. But Jesus wants to be in the middle of that. And so just take a minute and just pray by name for that relationship that has tension in your life and surrender it to Christ. Surrender yourself and ask Jesus to help you see them the way that he sees you. And I don't know all of your story, but I wonder if Jesus is a part of it. Jesus didn't give his life so that we would go to church. And he didn't give his life so that we would be better people. He gave his life because we were, the Bible says this, that we were dead in our sin. It's the truth. I'm not an okay person. I'm not good on the inside. I'm not perfect. We're dead in our sin. And Jesus gave his life and gives us mercy and grace and love and compassion so that we could be made alive in him. That's how he loves you. And if you've never turned from your sin, if you never, the Bible uses this word repent and it just means to turn around never turned around and gone toward Christ instead of away from him. Maybe even now, just tell him. Ask him to forgive you. Tell him you want to receive salvation, that you want to live in this grace and truth with him. You need him. You want him. Just use your words. You don't need to use mine. But from your heart to God's heart, tell him where you're at tell him what you need and receive the love that he wants to give you. Jesus, for all of us, this is the gig. This is what it is. And this is, God, loving each other is way harder than enabling each other. Loving each other is way harder than just agreeing with each other. It's way harder. So we need your help. Thank you for your example. We need your help. Thank you for your power. We need your help. Thank you for your spirit. God, just help us. Help us to embrace this new commandment that you give to us.